So today we continue our series in favorite text, okay? It's very simple. No one's saying one text is better than another. So some of you technicality people out there are like, oh, they're all scriptures. God, breathe, pal. Yeah, we know. But there are certain scriptures that happen to just, yeah, they just personally excite us or whatever. So that's what this is about. That's all that it's intended to be, okay? So today, you're going to get one of my favorite passages. If I could be honest, if I had to pick one, it would be this very passage. Are you ready? Good. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Grab your Bibles. Okay, we're all about the Scripture. You're not here to hear me, really. You're here to hear Jesus and His Word. So grab your Bible. We want you to open it if you have one. If you don't, you can ask us for one and we will give you one free of charge. And they'll be following, uh, you can follow along on the screen. So Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. My favorite passage, okay? I'm sure I'll say my, my, my favorite one is another one next week. Okay, just, just a little, that's me, okay? Mark 2, 1 through 12. Listen to what Mark records. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things? In your hearts. Which is easier. To say to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. Or. To say rise. Take up your bed. And walk. But that you may know. That the son of man. Has authority. On earth. To forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is God's Word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, we don't know for sure, but we could probably imagine that the paralytic, his friends, his family, have tried just about everything in the hope of moving, walking, 
running like a normal person. Like a quote-unquote normal person. You could conceive of those that care about Him trying to figure out ways to help Him live and cope. Maybe even uh, move to some degree. To somehow deal with His mobility or lack thereof uh, by helping Him live a, a normal life, like we would say. Maybe, though, they had resolved that this is His normal life. Maybe this is his normal. Maybe uh, it is what it is. Maybe they've come to the end of the road. Maybe they have basically given up on ever seeing the friend or the family member that they love ever having the ability, ability to move or to run or to walk like quote-unquote normal people. So on the edge of giving up, we see something interesting they find that a man named Jesus is showing up. Right on the edge of giving up, we find that Jesus is showing up. Verse 1, when he, that is Jesus, re returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This Jesus that they had heard about was in Capernaum. You see, you've got to turn back a little bit to see what's been going on in chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, or actually somewhat in the middle, uh, we see that he is casting out demons. And the people are concluding, what is this? This new kind of teaching with authority. He's casting out demons. And fame began to spread. His fame began to spread all throughout Galilee. So people were hearing about this Jesus. And later on, we see that he's cleansing a leper. Right? Someone had leprosy. And Jesus cleansed them of and healed them of this leprosy. And basically, verse 45 says that he went, he, uh, the guy went out, uh, even though Jesus said to be quiet, he went out and told everybody freely, verse 45, and that he spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Jesus couldn't go anywhere without people crowding around him. Fame was spreading. The news was getting out. That there was this Jesus who was teaching with some new kind of authority that demons were being cast out, that people were being healed of leprosy. And this Jesus that they were hearing about happened to be here. And so while they were on the edge of giving up, they find that this Jesus that they had heard about showed up. And I wonder if some of you today find yourself in that kind of place. You're on the edge of quitting, giving up. Whatever temporal reality is just pervading your life that you feel immersed in, whatever some sort of uh, immobility or uh, inability to walk, whatever that is that you feel that constantly defines you, and you're just about done. You've sought out after every possible way to be freed from this particular issue. Maybe you're just on the verge of giving up. Resigned to the fact that it is what it is. And for whatever reason, you're here. 
in Jesus, in His Word, has shown up in your life. It's amazing what we see happen. Crowds gather, verse 2. No room, not even at the door. And He was preaching the Word to them. Jesus is there, crowds are gathered, and Jesus is doing what Jesus does. Teach. Preach. Right? Could you imagine this? Could you imagine that kind of experience? Could you imagine the Word made flesh sitting there physically teaching the Word? Could you imagine the One who is truth delivering truth? Could you imagine the way, the truth, and the life teaching in a house with you present, teaching you about the way, the truth, and the life? You can imagine the scene, right? It is hot. It is dusty. It is crowded. It is uncomfortable. This is awful for the claustrophobic. Amen? And yet these people crowd around. In the midst of the heat. In the midst of the dust, in the midst of the crowds, the smelly, weird people. This is more and more sounding like a Baptist church, isn't it? Hot. Dusty. Smelly. Uncomfortable. Sounds kind of like a Baptist church. Just kidding. Sort of. You know, We've been having this kind of, all sarcasm has a, just a little bit of, just. So you can imagine the scene, right? And then you come to the reason, realization, why are these people doing this? Why are they enduring no air conditioning? Why are they sitting there, uncomfortable, crowded, dealing with the smells and the dust and the heat? Why are they crowded around? Because they're hungry. They're thirsty. They're willing to put up with all of that because in the deepest part of who they are, this new teaching, this new authority, this Jesus seems to be filling them with something that they've never heard before. That there's something about this Jesus. They want to eat of it. They want to drink of it. They're willing to endure anything. They're willing to sit there and deal with the heat. Right? That's what we do. I was thinking about the New York State Fair. And again, I'm not trying to offend anybody here in the room that loves the fair or works at the fair. But let's be honest. Why is anyone going to the fair? It's hot. It's dusty. There's a lot of smelly, weird people there. It's very simple. Because they're hungry. I mean, give me one other reason other than the food why you're going to the fair. And don't give me the country music. Nobody really likes country music, do they? <laughs> Anyway, if it wasn't for Nelly, you know, country music would be worth throwing out. But anyway, I'm in one of those moods this morning, you can see. These people were hungry. They were desperate. They'd never heard anything like this. They'd never seen anything like this. Hope was filling their hearts that maybe something new 
would change their reality. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's this Jesus whom we've been hearing about. And so four men grab their friend who's paralyzed and they come and they come to this house and they get there and they realize that they're dealing with a crowd. I can't imagine the conversation, right? One guy, one friend on every corner. You can imagine maybe this kind of a conversation taking place. Friend number one saying, I told you we took too long to get out the door. We should have left earlier. Some of you husbands and wives know exactly how this goes. They're too late. The obstacle is just people had gotten there earlier. There was no room. There was no window even to go through. They could not get to Jesus. If they came earlier, maybe they could have. And so one of these guys is probably making them feel bad that it took too long to get out the door. Or maybe friend number two. The whiny pants of the group. Every group has a whiny pants. Okay? He says what? We'll never get to Jesus with all these people around. Let's just forget it. Let's go home. Can you imagine that happening? And finally, friend three has actually a good idea. In Jim Gaffigan style, he just says, let's just get something to eat. Just in case we get hungry. Right? So we better go get something to eat. They're giving up, potentially. But we actually see the opposite. And you can imagine when one of the friends looks at the other three friends and says, hey, I've got an idea. Here's an idea. Let's go up the side steps of the house, or, or maybe the ladder, depending on the, the kind of construction that it was. Let's go up on the roof, and let's dig through the twigs and the mud and the thatch and all that stuff. Let's dig through it, and let's create a sizable opening whereby which we could engineer and concoct some sort of way system to lower him down to Jesus. And all the friends being like, you're absolutely insane. But that's just what they do. In their moment of desperation, out of their love for their friend, they look at every obstacle and say, there is no tomorrow when it comes to this ailment in our friend's lives. life. There is no more waiting. There is no other day. There is no other place. We have to do whatever it takes to get our friend into the presence and at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of desperation that these people felt. And I wonder if some of you today are feeling that kind of desperation. You're coming to the humble recognition that there is absolutely no other place to go other than the feet of Jesus Christ. To deal with any issue that you face in this life. There was no turning back. There was no other hope. They recognized that it was of absolute necessity. It was a matter of life and death that they get their friend into the presence of Jesus. And so they go on top of the roof and they begin to dig through the mud and the branches and the thatch. And then they do so. Could you imagine sitting in the room? Could you imagine listening to Jesus and all of a sudden being the owner of the house and some dudes digging through your roof? What an unbelievable scene. This is why I love this passage. They start to dig, and you can imagine sitting in the room in the dust and the twigs starting to fall from the rafters in all of a sudden daylight, and then four heads. This is what happened. 
And they opened up a big enough hole and they lowered it down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus sees this. Don't miss that. Jesus sees the desperate actions of these men. He doesn't correct it. Right? He doesn't say, not now. Now's not the time. Right? The passage goes on to say that He sees their faith. He sees their desperate action as an act of visible faith. These people went to these great lengths for only one reason. Because they recognized that Jesus was their only option. They had to get to Jesus. That kind of desperation, that kind of work in terms of just getting to Jesus showed and revealed the deep faith that was in their heart. It could have been easy for them to to come back another day, to go to another place. It could have been easy for them to do something else. But they persevered. And in the process, put on display sincere faith. And so they get into the presence of Jesus. And verse 5 says that when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. What powerful words does Jesus speak to the paralytic? Son, your sins are forgiven. And yet, I don't know about you, but as I read that pat, read that verse, that statement of Jesus, I'm starting to scratch my head. <clears throat> Is Jesus out of touch with reality? Like, imagine hearing that. Son, your sins are forgiven. You can imagine them being like, Jesus, uh, appreciate that comment. Uh, listen, we, we got a system with like the sacrifices and stuff, and we go to the Levites, and we like kill things and like the blood. We, we got something for the sin thing, but we need legs. What's going on? Why is Jesus talking about forgiveness of sin? Is He completely out of touch with what this man needs? He's not there for forgiveness. He wants to walk. He wants to run. He wants to have mobility in His body. So, thanks Jesus, but uh, we already got that. We just get the point. And in this moment, you see it that Jesus seems on the surface to be a little bit out of touch with what they're dealing with. But we all know that's not the case. What we actually see here is that Jesus is more in touch with what they need than they are. Jesus is more in touch with reality than they are. Jesus is more in touch with reality than the people are sitting in that room. More in touch with reality than you and I are when we think about our standing before God. You see, we get so wrapped up in temporal realities, don't we? We get so intertwined with, I've got to do this and that, and Monday and Thursday and Friday, and the family, and getting the kids to school, and man, we've got to pay those bills, and man, I'm dealing with this physical ailment. 
the headaches, and whatever you're wrestling with, those become so primary and so defining for us that they become the most pressing and the most important needs that we have. We can't seem to shake them. And because of that, they distract us from the ultimate needs that we have. But Jesus is not distracted by our temporal needs as He thinks about our ultimate needs. Amen? Jesus sees us. He sees our faith as we come to Him in desperation and He deals with our ultimate need and that is sin. Let that sit in your heart. Your greatest need is your sin. Your greatest issue. Your most powerful obstacle. The thing that you really deal with. The root cause of every other issue that you have is your sin before God. And Jesus looks at this paralytic and He refuses to just put a band-aid on His life. Amen to that? Jesus does not give us a band-aid for our life. Jesus heals our heart. And he looks at the paralytic and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. You see, his whole life, his identity has been wrapped up in his inability to walk. His whole life, his identity has been built on his inability, his struggle. There's the paralytic. He's called the paralytic. Who is this guy? He's the paralytic. His whole identity is in his paralysis. But Jesus Changes the game with His grace, doesn't He? He looks at him and says, My son. My son. He does not define the paralytic by his paralysis, but He begins to define him in response to his faith by His grace to forgive him of all sin. To find him by His pardoning words. My son, your sins are forgiven. Some of us need a fresh... We all need a new identity in Christ. We need to stop thinking or listening to the point... Or seeing the pointed finger or listening to the the accusatory words of the evil one that says guilty, sinner, not righteous. You're, You're a failure. Hear the words of Christ. Son. Child. Daughter. Defined by grace. Welcomed into God's family. See, that's our core issue. We're far from God because of our sin. But the wonderful thing that we see is that Jesus is proclaiming a forgiveness and He's proclaiming an authority to make such Pardon real in the paralytic's life. And I want you to hear that today. That Jesus' words proclaim His authority to forgive sin. Any sin that you have, Jesus has the authority to forgive it. If you come to Him in faith, desperate, humble, recognizing there's nowhere else to go, you can't wait till tomorrow. You draw near to Him in that sincere faith. 
then Jesus looks at every one of you, no matter how far your sin has taken you, no matter how much sin has cost you, and He says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And there's no other person, no other place where that kind of remedy or gift can be found other than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' words are an astounding claim. I have the authority, He says, to forgive your sin. I can deal with your greatest problem and I am your only solution. Do you hear that today, O sinner? Do you long to be redefined by the grace and the mercy of Christ? Draw near to Him in faith. And He will speak those words into your ear. And He will make you part of His family. Amen? He's not out of touch. We are. He's very much in touch with what we need. And the beauty of it, He provides all that is necessary to meet it. Now, sounds like great words, right? Uh, not to the scribes. Look at verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there <clears throat> questioning in their hearts, doing a little one of these. Ever see those people? Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Murmuring in their hearts, right? They're, the Pharisees are doing their thing in the corner. They're like at a junior high dance, right? They're in the corner. Why does this man, wow, speak like this? You see, they're good theologians. They know the deal. Only God can forgive sin, right? No man has the authority to pronounce forgiveness. No man has the righteousness, the holiness, the authority, the standing to declare someone not guilty other than God Himself. That's true. Only God can forgive the sinner. They're right. He said he charges Jesus with blasphemy. Hey, this guy is usurping the authority of God. This guy is committing a sin himself. This guy is committing a sin that is punishable by death. Where are the stones? Someone go get some stones. He's a blasphemer. Got him. The nice Jesus. Casting out demons. Cleansing lepers. What a great guy. Let's kill him. Because he's a blasphemer. Hey, it's a technicality. we got to do it. See, they're... They got great theology per se. They understand that only God can forgive sin. But the real issue here is the questioning that's taking place in their hearts. They don't have that kind of desperate posture toward Jesus because they don't believe that He's God. He's just a man. They don't really like Jesus. And they don't trust Him at all. 
Matter of fact, the things that he's saying and the things that he's doing are contrary to everything that they're about. And so they call him into question in the deepest part of them. You see, such a contrast between the paralytic who draws near in sincere faith and then the Pharisees, or the scribes, I'm sorry, the scribes that are, that are just not interested at all. They're questioning. They're, they're accusing Jesus. You see, I think there's a difference between asking God questions. Some of you have so many questions that you would ask God, right? You're curious. You don't know. You don't understand. Some things don't make sense. They don't line up. And so you ask God questions. Friends, that's okay. God can handle your questions. Alright? So some of you may have a lot of questions about faith, about the Bible, about God, and, you, and about what you see in the world. And you may... That's okay. But there's a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. It's a very big difference. Do you see that difference? Well, the scribes were not asking questions like, hey, uh, anybody know who this guy is? We'd really like to know who he is. I mean, is he blaspheming? Or is, is he God? Let's, let's find out. No, 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 no. This was a questioning of God. You are not God, Jesus. Who do you think you are? Who are you to claim to have such authority to forgive the sin of a sinner? So they question Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. Not only does Jesus see this faith, but he sees right through to the heart of the scribes. His authority is piercing. I think this reveals such power and authority in the person of Christ. He, look at what the text says. Verse 8, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. You see, Jesus at every moment knows exactly what we're thinking. You can't hide from Jesus. You can't play a fast one on Jesus. You can't stand there in the crowd with a cute smile religiously and yet inside your heart be questioning, be skeptical, be accusing God of not being God and Jesus not be fully aware of it. Jesus is fully aware of the intentions and the motivations and the interactions of our soul. And he sees the Pharisees and he says to them, why do you question these things in your heart? See, Jesus can ask questions too. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? So he's basically putting two things side by side and saying, which of them is easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? That is the effects that you can't visibly see on the surface. You can't really see here and now the, the effect of that pronouncement per se. Or is it easier for me to say, hey, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Which of those two things is easier? And all the crowd is sitting there waiting to see. And you can imagine being there, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Jesus just raised the stakes. Which is easier? 
To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, pick up your bed and walk? If you would believe, if you don't believe that I have the authority to forgive sin based on my just pronouncement of it, would you believe that if what? The obvious. If I prove my authority to do something so much more difficult, at least that the eyes would see. Which isn't the case, right? But in terms of the eyes. The obvious answer is it's way more difficult to tell a paralytic to get up and run and walk and to pick up his bed and go home than it is to just speak forgiveness. Now, I would say that it doesn't mean that it's easier to forgive sin. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. And then he looks at the crowd. He looks at the scribes. And he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to this man, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, why is Jesus about to heal this guy? Jesus is about to heal this guy because he wants everyone to know that he has the authority to forgive sin. He doesn't want anyone to have any doubt in their mind the truth about what kind of authority that Jesus has. Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. His words proclaim that. And as we see, he rose, verse 12, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Have any of you seen anything like that? You see, that healing power proves, authenticates his previous claim. If he can make a guy rise, pick up his bed and go home, that has been paralyzed, surely it proves his authority to say, your sins are forgiven. Christ, Jesus, has the authority to forgive our sins. Let that truth rest in your heart today. Don't miss out on that mercy and that grace. See your greatest need and believe it. Believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive not just His sins, but your sins. That's the Gospel. That's why we're here today. To celebrate that kind of mercy. To celebrate that kind of authority. To celebrate that kind of power that says, sin, the defeat of it, that's my domain. I've got it. I am God. I can say who or it, who is or who is not forgiven. That's my call. The person of Christ. That's the Gospel. And that's why I love this passage. Because while there's fun and events and roofs getting ripped off, and by the way, I think that's the origin of raise the roof. If you look deep into the Greek, alright, forget it. That didn't work. I love that part of the story. But all that storyline just points us to the beauty and the power and reveals the nature of Christ. He is our forgiver. There is no one else. There is nowhere else to go than to the feet of Jesus in your desperate need for forgiveness. So draw near to Him. Believe it. Believe it. And you think that would be enough for the Pharisees, right? The crowd's pumped. Wow. Man, oh man. We've seen it all. Woo! Everyone went to get something to eat after that? I don't know. It's kind of what we do at church, right? Man, that was a great service. Where are we going to eat? Um, so the, 
the scribes, right? They came to faith, right? See, you've heard this before, right? Maybe not this passage, maybe not in this way, but you've heard about the grace of God in Christ to forgive sin. You've, you've heard this. And yet many of us hear a passage like this and we still find ourselves with great hesitancy. There's still a roadblock. There's still an obstacle. There's still a, a, a wave of skepticism in us. Maybe, maybe we could go somewhere else. Maybe we could find someone else. Maybe there's another way. Maybe Jesus is crazy. Maybe these Christians are nuts. Maybe this is all just a game, a crutch, to make us feel better about the fact that we're not that great of people. You see, the Pharisees continue to question Jesus. This whole section, chapter 2, Verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who's this guy? I'm supposed to eat with those people. Who's this guy think he is? Hey, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Huh? Everybody's fasting. You're eating. Next passage. Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Citation number 268. You're not doing what's lawful on the Sabbath. They continue to question Jesus. Why? Why does this man do that? Why is he? Why? Why? Because they refuse to believe who he really is. No amount of evidence can convince them. The demons, the leper, the paralytic running home with his bed. And they're like, eh, I don't know. That's so often people like you and me. Why does Jesus say that? Why are we even coming to church? Why are we giving? Why are we doing, what is this? This is. Maybe it's not that drastic. Maybe you're not devising a plan to kill Jesus, chapter 3. Maybe it doesn't seem so dramatic. Your hesitancy to receive this, to embrace this. Maybe you're simply not desperate enough. Maybe you're satisfied with who you are. Maybe the 58% of the time that you're holy is good enough for God. Maybe you check enough religious boxes to make yourself feel good about yourself. Maybe things are going well. Maybe you found other ways to remedy the guilt and pain that you feel. Maybe you just want Jesus to give you some legs and He refuses. Maybe you're sick and tired of hearing about ultimate issues like forgiveness and eternal life and reconciliation with God. Maybe those things just don't sound all that attractive. I don't know where your heart is this morning. I don't know if you believe it 
or not. But believe it or not, Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive your sin. Believe it or not, Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive your sin. Let that sit. Your belief in it, your acceptance of it doesn't change its reality. Right? It's what's good for you, what's good for me, it's got good for him. Like, no, no, no. Believe it or not, Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive your sin. No one else. There's no fill in the blank. Believe it or not, Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive your sin. Have I said it enough yet? My plea with you today, from one messed up, jacked up sinner to another, believe it. Now, believing it is not just nodding your head. Yeah, okay, cool. Jesus. Believing it is embracing it and taking it as your own. Giving your life to it. Resting fully in it. Telling others about it. Living in the joy of it. And every time the accuser shows up to your house in the midst of your struggle and says, sin has authority over you. You could say, "Mm mm-mm. Jesus said to me long ago, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he has the authority to say it. And you have no authority here, Satan. None. Praise God. See, I think many of us walk through life feeling the weight and the authority and the dominion in our struggle against flesh and blood and against sin, and we come to this moment. And this is why I love this passage, because after 29 years of being a Christian, I can't hear it enough. I can't drink enough from the all-sweet cup of Christ's grace to forgive me. So believe it. Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive your sin. Truth. End of story. Proclaimed, proved. Now receive it. Do not leave today. Do not walk out that door worried about lunch. See, the beauty of these moments is we have the time to deal with the ultimate issues of life. Where all the temporal realities distract us from it. And we think that the most important thing is making sure the garbage is out on Thursday evening. Single guys, take your garbage out. You may not have somebody yelling at you to do it. She yells at me every Thursday. No. Anyway. Ultimate issues of life. Sin. Walk away from today with the full assurance that Christ has pardoned you. Executive order. Not guilty. And be re-identified by the grace of God, not your paralysis spiritually. What a wonderful thing that is. You're not just forgiven, you're familyed. That's why God forgives. To bring you back to Himself. Christ died. 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might what? Bring us to God. Go to God. Go to Christ and be forgiven. If you need help in understanding this more, please see me. Please see Jeremy. We want to help you walk in newness of life. Amen? Believe it or not, Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sin. Your sin. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You for this day. We praise You for this Word. Oh, how we ever needed it. I pray that the Spirit of God would be at work in all of our hearts, showing us our real problem, our sin, and showing us the beauty and the glory and the joy of Your remedy, Yourself in Christ. We give You praise, for You alone have authority to set us free and forgive us. In Christ's name, Amen.